Hey, everyone. So two quick things. First, my Facebook group page for The Suzanne Venker Show is back up. I'd been using that page for something else, but I have since moved it back to a private page just for listeners of The Suzanne Venker Show. I want a place where you all can talk with each other and where I can chime in periodically with questions and comments myself. So be aware that if you're itching to talk about the things you're hearing on this program, there is now a place to do that. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Suzanne's group. And if for some reason that doesn't work, just try going to Facebook and typing in the Suzanne Banker show and hopefully it will come right up and then click on join. Okay. Secondly, when was the last time you took a hot second to write a review of this podcast? I get super sad when I check it periodically and no one's written anything in like a week. I just wanted to tell you how much those reviews mean to me and to the algorithms too. Pretty sure the more reviews there are, the more the show will appear in other people's um, feeds and whatnot. So if you think you'll forget, like I know I probably would, keep in mind you can pause this program right now and do it and you won't miss a thing when you come back. We'll still be here in the same spot. That's my favorite thing about podcasts. They're like DVR, which is so awesome. Okay, on with the show. From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week as we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. So today we're going to talk about money and why it's such a tender topic in marriage much more so today than ever before, I think, and also remains the number one cause of marital conflict and even divorce. But the truth is that money conflict is really not about the money itself. It's not about the math. Sometimes it can be, but very rarely is that really the the crux of it. When you're dealing with a marriage, it's really about power or and control, perceived power and control, I should say, versus trust. And I think those two things are in constant competition with one another. And it's often about mismatched values that you and your spouse aren't on the same page with how you think about money and what you want to do with it and so on and so forth. But I think a lot of people think you're either good with money or bad with money. Like you you know, you were just fortunate to grow up having been given the tools. And there's no question that that's a, that's a leg up unquestionably. We, we talked about this, Bill and I, in our last episode, it wasn't a parenting series. It was another love and money series. We talked about um, our money, money beliefs that you bring to your marriage. And we have very different backgrounds as far as that goes. Um, he, he either, it's not that he really got bad information. He just didn't get any information. And I think that's super common for completely different reasons. The reasons why he didn't get it might be different from someone else, but at the end of the day, he he didn't get it. And I was very fortunate to have an MBA. Both my parents had MBAs and, um, were very money oriented, not, not materialistic money oriented, but just um, had money brains, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I grew up with so much knowledge and great modeling in that regard. And I'm not going to deny the significance of that. It's, it is huge. 
But um, just to use Bill as an example, he didn't get it and he's extremely money savvy. He's very well read. He taught himself, you know, and so it, you know, it's out there if you want it and, and you didn't get it as a, as a kid, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So it's really about what you choose to do with it. It's not a matter of luck. Being money savvy at the end of the day doesn't have, any, doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you have a business degree. Being money savvy boils down to key behaviors and budgeting skills. It's true that you need some basic knowledge, which I'm convinced parents are not passing on to their kids, sometimes because they didn't have a good relationship with money themselves, but also because they think money is something you're not supposed to talk about. That's a big one. But I'm going to save the parenting aspect of this conversation for a different episode. More than anything else, being good with money requires common sense, the ability to live within your means. And if you're married, this is the key, the ability to trust your spouse and get on the same financial page with him or her. If you can do this, and sometimes it takes years. That's certainly the case in my, my own marriage. We didn't start out having this down. Who the hell does, right? It's trial and error, constant trial and error. But if you can get there, if you can have a marriage where everything's out in the open and equally shared, regardless of who earns what, and you're talking about what you need to talk about with respect to the finances on a weekly basis, Nothing will bring you and your spouse closer. Nothing, in my opinion. And I think a lot of people have the opposite mindset um, that if you, you know, that you avoid it because it, it, it presents so much conflict and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to solve it. So it's just easier just to not go there. And I see that more and more. But of course, as I've talked about ad nauseum, money, I'm sorry, conflict avoidance of any kind, what, no matter what the topic is, is a lose-lose situation. So I think for many couples today, this you know coming together in this way is just not happening. So let's start with three mistakes that many married couples make with money today. Number one, and I know I've talked about this, the his and hers mentality that young people have been groomed to harbor when it comes to their relationship. As if married people are simply roommates and as if men and women are interchangeable in that way, like a, like a roommate, as opposed to a completely separate person and a different sex, <laughs> emphasis on different sex or gender, with his or her own set of um, beliefs and habits. And there's no way to have the intimacy that presumably you would want when you're married, if you are not connecting on that level in a deeper way. Um, and, and, and ironing through and we're going to talk about the details of what I mean by this. I'm going to give you some examples um, through your stuff to get to the other side. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. It is hard. It is hard. I think in our parents' day, certainly this is what I saw. You know, you just avoided it. They don't even, I mean, in my, my parents' day, nobody went deep. 
everything was very surfacey. That always really bothered me. Um, I think that's why I'm, you know, I'm definitely an overanalyzer. I admit it, and an overthinker. It's I. I'm not suggesting anyone be that way. I, I tend to go overboard, but I think it's because of the way I was raised where nobody got, nobody solved anything or resolved anything because nothing was ever discussed of any um, depth. And I, I just couldn't get my head around that thinking, why are people, why do people fight about the same thing over and over and over and over when you could resolve this? I don't get it. It's yes, it's painful to resolve it, but it's more painful to live like that in my my book. So I think Bill would probably agree that if that if it weren't for me, we wouldn't have really gotten where we are on this front because he's definitely not as interested in getting into the nitty gritty. And I, I don't think men really are in general. I mean, I'm sure some some are, but um, it's a harder road and uh, you, you need someone to push you. So that was our story. But at any rate, so this his and hers mentality that the younger generation in particular is bringing to the table is so destructive. You know, my debt versus your debt, um, my income versus your income. There's, there's no way to get ahead relationally and financially if that is your mindset. If you are living like roommates and keeping everything separate and never having those meetings and never talking about your dreams and what you struggle with and what you, you know, why you think the way you do, if you're not getting curious and asking those things of your partner, of your spouse, then you're missing a massive opportunity for intimacy that will then spill over into other areas of your relationship, if you know what I mean. In fact, I, at one point I thought about labeling or titling, um, titling an episode, you know, how regular budget meetings can lead to, you know, the bedroom or something like that, because they really are related. If you can get your money stuff uh, ironed out to where you actually enjoy coming together to talk about it because it brings you closer, nothing will be better for your relationship. I really do believe that. And as long as you have that his and hers mentality instead of the hours that this is a family unit, everything goes into one pot, and then we talk about it, figure it out, budget for it, we don't hide, we don't spend when the other person doesn't know, all of that stuff, um, then you're never gonna get there. So his and hers mentality, that's the number one mistake many married couples make today. Second one, living for today or tomorrow with little thought or preparation for the future. So you've probably heard of that phrase YOLO, and even FOMO. YOLO is you only live once and FOMO is fear of missing out. And that is a thing uh, among the modern generation. And it, it pulls at you in a way that it, I mean, it's always been a thing for every generation, but it's, it's just not even comparable to today because of social media as to how much of a grip this has on people. And so it, it's, it easily gets you away from your own personal goals with your spouse in preparing for the future. So let's say you have a meeting and you, you know, you have a plan to save X amount of money for something that you both want to do in two years and you start that plan. And then all of a sudden you're bombarded by all these, all these messages or all these visuals or, or friends who are pulling you to come out and do all these things that maybe you don't 
you could technically afford, but it's going to get you off the plan that you have with your spouse. So, but then you don't want to miss out. So you just say, screw it. And you just do it. And then that gets you off track, that kind of thing. Um, if very often one partner will be more, um, uh, um, susceptible to that than another. And then the other one's mad about it, but doesn't address it. And these are the types of things that over time build up and cause a problem. So being able to think beyond tomorrow and what the ultimate goal is and staying focused on that once you both agree on it. I mean, that's huge because then you have a partner who's pulling you in that same direction and can, re can remind you why you are saving that for the future, whatever the case may be. And then you get excited about where, where you want to where you want to be. Um, that's a big thing that I think young couples, um, mis the mistake that they make is that they're just living for tomorrow. And that's why one of the reasons why they're struggling in their ability to save. And then the third one is trying to build wealth using hacks. <laughs> that's rather than embracing the slow and steady wins the race mindset. That's another big one of young couples. They think they can develop all these hacks and you see them all over TikTok and social media about how to get rich quick or um, make passive income by, you know, investing in um, in real estate, let's say, or in things that are speculative and that you think won't break the bank, but you, I don't know, just, just bad investing, period, bad investing and thinking that there's a quick way of doing it. And there, there just isn't, there's just very, um, the the most the best way to build wealth over time is to take the long is to play the long game and to be patient and to do it just the really boring traditional way um so that's that's a third one is the hacks that's a big mistake that young couples are making in my opinion at the end of the day you and your partner must have a shared vision and figure out and decide how you're going to get there. Here's a comment that someone made on one of my social media pages because I was talking about separate finances as I do a lot. And he said, your point about separate finances is huge. This, his name is Chris. That's a point of contention in our relationship. Dance, for instance, is expensive. My wife throws figures out, but since we don't share a bank account, I have no idea what's expected of me financially. We have nationals coming up and she's telling me how much she needs from me the month before hotel for a week, food, possibly renting a car. I wish, excuse me, I wish we would have budgeted this together. I personally don't know how much longer I can do this when, my, when the wife signs her up for all this stuff and then hits me with figures on the back end when these are things you really need to budget together on the front end. Front end. Perfect example of what I'm talking about. This is completely resolvable by taking a very different approach to one's money the most obvious being is that the finances are separate. And when you have them separate, well, first of all, the fact that's not unusual, by the way, I'm hearing this constantly, this idea that you, you write a check to your spouse for something that you're in charge of and you ask the spouse for the money. I mean, talk about feeling like a roommate. <laughs> Can't even get my head around that. Um, it's the mentality of yours and mine that gets in the way. Not to mention that you're not forced to communicate and agree in advance before you spend. And so if the other person doesn't know what's going on, how could that possibly end well? 
there's just no way. So that I thought that was a, just a great example that it may seem that you might hear that and think, God, that's crazy, but he's not unusual. This is par for the course from, from what I see on my end. And here's the thing, who manages the day-to-day -day finances, you know, who actually writes the checks is actually less important than having these regular meetings and having complete and total transparency during those meetings. So in other words, if you're coming together to deal with the monies that come in the home together and working through it all, it doesn't really matter who's writing the check because the other person who's not writing the check knows exactly what's happening without writing it. That's, that's what I mean by the, the coming together um, regularly. It's almost, this part really is, it can become like a business meeting and seem kind of off-putting, I guess, but what comes of it, if you allow it to, is so much deeper because it really ends up not being about the math. It's about why do you feel that way? What's important to you? Why are you reacting that way? Where does that come from? Um, what can I do to make you feel more secure? Um, just these are the things that will just naturally come up in the course of the quote unquote budget meeting, meaning that it's not about the math. Like I'm saying, it's about all this other stuff. So what are the types of things in a budget meeting conversation? Let's, let's talk about a few of those. Have you ever actually talked to your spouse about what their model was growing up for how to manage money? or how to think about money. I mean, I know that you very likely know your spouse's upbringing, of course you do, and you have the general idea, you know, whether they grew up lower middle, middle, upper middle, upper, lower, poor, <laughs> you might know that, and you, and you probably know the parents and have an idea for sure, um, but how much of the nitty gritty do you really understand about what it felt like for your spouse? to receive the messages that he or she did and what did he or she do with that information? What, what kind of mindset did it create at the time? And are you still living with that mindset? And does that mindset still apply today? Um, do we need to get rid of it? Um, in other words, are you having a knee jerk reaction? I think the, the buzzword today is, um, triggered. Are you triggered by this or that? Um, and if so, let's get untriggered. Let's, let's work through that. Let's figure that out and, and look at the math and see if it actually applies to the emotion behind it. Um, I mean, just, I'll just, again, all I can do is use, well, I could use some, um, coaching couples, but I, I don't have anything written down. I, I'm terrible at pulling it out of my head. So I'll just use my own example. Again, um, Bill will admit that he has a, uh, constant sort of nagging, you know, the back of the mind fear of never having enough despite having enough and getting rid of that. I think he would say is, is nearly impossible. I mean, he's working through it now, you know, at almost, you know, he's 59. I don't have that because I didn't have the same experience in my childhood of having the rug pulled out from under me where that's going to create this, this shift in the ground, right? Where you never feel fully centered or grounded. So I can't relate to that. Um, so over the years that's come up quite often where I'm like, well, this is fine. And, and he, and it's not fine. And he's sort of emotional about it. And he has to sort of talk himself down and be like, Oh no, the math is fine. I don't need to live that way anymore. So that's, that's just an example. Um, 
for him. For me, I mean, I have stuff from my mom who I think I've told you was an underspender. And um, that's a thing. <laughs> and um, it was so severe in our home that, you know, I have trouble spending money myself today. And I have to talk myself through, no, yes, you're fine. This is, you don't have to do what your mom did. You're not her. And I didn't grow up in the depression. So that's actually my mom and my husband are kind of similar <laughs> in that regard of, um, you know, the difficulty spending or always feeling a little insecure, but I definitely, I definitely struggled just to spend money, not because of an, I don't, well, whatever, we don't have to get into my story, but that, I'm just giving you examples of the kinds of things I know that many of you will relate to. And if it's not that it's something else. And so talking this through is just, it's everything. You can't really know how great you, your marriage can be if you're avoiding these conversations. Another one is what do you value? What do you value? Would you spend, like this goes back to that book, um, the Rachel Cruz book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money. Are you an experiences person or a things person? Would you rather spend money on things or on experiences? Um, that's why I recommend that book, by the way. That book, I think everybody should go out and buy that book. I should get kickbacks for this. Um, <laughs> know Yourself, Know Your Money, um, because this forces the conversations that you should be having with your spouse that will bring you closer. Um, to see how much you are on the same page or not with the other person. And this is great to do, gosh, before you're married and after you're married, you know, cause it changes too sometimes. So that's another thing. Um, if you could, if you could afford something, would you, you know, like if you ask the other person, um, if you could afford to do this, whatever that is, would you do it? Or is it just a matter of not being able to afford? to do it. And you're going to get some really interesting answers because there's some people will be like, Oh, well, hell yeah. If I could, if I could afford, it, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And then someone else might say, no, even if I could afford it, I wouldn't choose that. Cause that's, I don't value that. It kind of goes back to what I said before. What do you value? Um, because obviously we spend money on what we, what's important to us, what we value. And when you marry somebody whose background is so dissimilar, which is super common. And one of the reasons why in arranged marriages, they like to put people with similar socioeconomic backgrounds together. And it's not just in arranged marriages. I think even just assortative mating is natural that way. You, you um, relate very easily. And so there's few, potentially fewer conflicts if you are used to the same background. Um, and since my husband and I were not, it's caused it's more difficult and that's one of the reasons why the communication has to be so strong to work through these things um how much money do you need for your hobbies or your passions or your interests you know iron that out talk about that look here's what i like to spend money on every month how much can we afford to put aside for me to do that and put it in a separate account um not i mean a separate account like that the other person can't see, but like put it separate in some way so that it's allotted for in advance. If, if everybody's on the same page it, after that, after you've just made those decisions, it doesn't, you don't have to put your, uh, you don't have to pay attention to what the other person's doing. That's the beauty of this. There's no, well, how much did you spend? Well, why'd you spend that much? Blah, 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 blah. You've decided already and you, and you trust that the person's going to keep it to that amount. And so there's no reason to look over their shoulder. 
Um, so that's another reason. That's another. And, and you want to make sure to do that because if the person feels they can't spend and they don't have a separate amount for that, that's going to eat away at them and cause resentment. And then they will spend sort of haphazardly, which will cause conflict. Um, are you, or is he or she, what I would call a what ifer, meaning, um, are you always dealing with this running narrative in your head of what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? Um, and, and, and hoarding or, you know, um, piling money with no, well, I wouldn't say with no purpose, but I mean, just needing to sit on a lot of money in case something happens. And the other person isn't that way. Their mindset doesn't go to what if. Well, it's like, well, as long as we have enough put away for a rainy day, an emergency fund, and, you know, our monies are figured out accordingly, there's no reason to stress over the what ifs. Um, these are the details that you'll learn when you come together in this way. What does success mean to you? You know, if you had all the money in the world, hypothetically, what would you do? How would you live? How would you live? What would you want to do with that money? Would you want to buy a yacht or would you want to be a philanthropist? I mean, <laughs> talk about different values. Do you even know what your spouse would do? Um, and do you agree? Um, would you rather live on less income, but have security and no debt or have more money coming in a larger income, but have debt? I mean, I think of everything, that's probably the hugest thing that you have to get aligned on because if those don't, if you don't agree on that, that's going to be super hard. There are people who are comfortable spending and, and having debt because it's just their mind, their mindset about debt is like, that's just part of life. And you know, you live high and you have debt. And if you're somebody who doesn't want to live that way, um, you're going to struggle on a weekly bit. You're gonna have a lot of conflict. So rather than just have this recurring fight all the time, sit down and say, would you rather this or that? And then you're going to have, if you don't agree, you're going to have to come to some sort of compromise. And it's worth taking the time, even if it takes week after week, after month, after year, whatever it takes to come together on that. And you can, you can, I mean, that's what marriage is. It's just a giant compromise unless you're not willing to do that. But. Yeah, that's probably a big one. Um, what would being financially secure feel like? You know, I think that's come up a lot for us because I don't, <laughs> my running joke for Bill is, I don't think there's amount of money that could be in the bank where he'll ever feel secure. Um, because of, because of his upbringing, that's what I'm saying. Like you just, there's some things you're kind of stuck with, um, and you might work really hard to get out of you and you might get out and you might not, but you, you just have to be ever vigilant about what that is and whether or not it, you have to constantly remind yourself that it doesn't apply anymore. Um, and, and sort of relax your nervous system, I guess, on that front. 
Um, and, and financial security for your spouse might be different for you. Maybe you think a million dollars is a lot to end up with at the end of your life, and the other person thinks 30 million is, is a minimum. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I know these are huge numbers, and I'm just throwing them out there to show how different our mindsets can be. And then the last one is, which and it kind of goes back to the rather, would you rather live on less and have security? But the more having more money versus a better quality of life quandary. I think this is a really big one for young people today, and I'll explain why. Young people who are getting together today are, you know, they've, it, it's never been, we've never had such a money-driven, money-focused culture, ever. I mean, I sometimes look at them and it's like, God, I mean, it's like, it's number one of everything else, definitely over relationships, definitely over family. And it's such a stark contrast from the way things were when I was their age. Um, but I, there's so many things that they're not taking into account in terms of the quality of their life. Thinking that money or more of it is going to resolve problems. Um, is, is so rarely ever the case, which I don't want to be Pollyanna about it. I don't mean like, oh, you can live on happiness and $30,000 and it's all good. That's not what I mean. I just mean more money does not mean an easier life at all. In fact, the more money you have, the more complicated and the more conflict potentially that you'll have. Um, so then that gets into the quality of life and how much money is enough. You know, what, when is, when is my time and my, the quality of what I'm doing with that time, when does that weigh out over the amount? Would you, and again, that's why I think this goes back to that other question. Would you rather have more money, which often means for many people going into more debt? Um, would you often have, would you want to have more things, um, bigger house, better car, more vacation, you know, whatever the case may be, or have a more simple life, free of stress, calmer life, a calmer life. Um, this is usually the decisions that we're making because very few people have the kind of income or money that allows them to have everything that they've ever wanted in life and oh, also have a really good quality of life and no overlap into how having all this money affects my, you know, relationships at home. Like that's just not a thing. And I, I don't think young people really understand that today because no one's really explaining the trade-offs of having, you know, so for example, when I've talked a lot about second incomes and that's changed over the years, of course, because things have gotten crazy cost wise. But, um, there was a time when I wrote my first book 20 years ago or 25 years, no, yeah, I don't know, 20 years ago, let's say, um, where you could make a case for, for how one income comes off, comes out better. And I still think you can make that today, actually, um, than two, because of all the costs that are associated with that lifestyle that you're taking on by both working. That's a great example. Um, people don't realize the amount you save when you have one income. Um, in certain circumstances, or in many circumstances, actually, if you're willing to live a less fancy life, or just let's say a more simple life, um, 
for those years. And then you completely omit the childcare costs and the commuting costs and all the stuff that goes along with working. That's a great example of what I mean. What do you want? What kind of, what do you want your life to look like every day? How do you want that climate to be in your home? Because the more money generally means the more chaos and the less security, not financially, but less secure home environment. And certainly um, more conflict, more, more chance for conflict. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You need to be aligned on that. <clears throat> and I know a lot of people, a lot of couples don't get aligned on that before they get married. And that's, that can be a real, that's a very hard, I mean, it's doable to undo it and get on the same page after the fact. People do it all the time, but it's harder for sure. So what's the conclusion of all this? Put your relationship, your values, and your lifestyle choices first. Get aligned in who you are, where you're going, what your relationship with money is, compromise, all of that, and then figure out the math. Because it's not about the math. It's ultimately about your mindset. It's not your circumstances that will determine your financial success. It's your mindset and what you're bringing to the table. Marriage is, I mean, yeah, well, I was going to say marriage is hard enough <laughs> um, without any conversations about money. But money is the engine that keeps it, you know, chugging along. And I cannot explain the difference between being on the same page in this, in this one department will spill over into every other area of your marriage. And when you're not aligned and when you're avoiding it or when you can't get past whatever the issues are, it's constant conflict all the time. And then people do things that they shouldn't do, like hide purchases um, or keep their money separate because it's just easier that way. But you're not really solving anything. You're just, you're just running from it because you don't know what else to do. So that's it. That's all I've got for you today. If you're struggling, obviously I can help. That's what I do in coaching. I can't, I can't get into the uh, minutiae here on the podcast, but, um, I certainly do behind closed doors. So, um, you can always reach out to me if you feel like you need help in that regard and you know where to find me, SuzanneBanker.com. Okay, guys, see you next time. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Banker show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a review as well as share this episode with a friend. As always, you may reach me with any questions or comments at Suzanne at the Suzanne and if you would like to support this podcast, which would be very much appreciated, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash the Suzanne Banker show. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.